0: Welcome back to David Berkus Presents, where every week, David Berkus presents an idea or a person with an idea that'll help you do your best work ever. Today, I am presenting to, to you, if you're watching or listening to this, uh, a person who's don't Tasha, when did we meet? I was going to do the introduction, but then I realized I don't even know. It feels like it's been forever.
1: Yeah, like 1971,
0: maybe? Yeah, some 71, 72, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. No, uh Tasha Yurig's friend, fellow organizational psychologist, really like the world's expert. And I'm not just saying that in the Marshall Goldsmith way. I'm saying it in the real way. Uh, like the world's expert on self-awareness in leadership and, uh, dare I say, our blind spots and the things that we're really not aware of that can either trip us or sometimes be our strengths if we discover them and leverage them properly. Um, How did you, I mean, how did you even get into this whole self-awareness research piece?
1: It started as a kind of a mild curiosity. Um, Maybe eight or so years ago, I was starting to hear this term being used in Harvard Business Review articles and Forbes, self-awareness. And, you know, in the work that we all do with executives and leaders, we see that there is a pretty big difference between the ones who are willing to question the way they see themselves to actually find out how other people see them um, and those who don't. And what I started to wonder is, is all of this sort of media hype around self-awareness actually based in scientific findings? And as, as I started to peel back the onion, I discovered that We sort of knew a lot of uh, not super helpful stuff from academic research, and then there was just this big divide between what we needed to know in the business world to actually apply it. And so I I pulled together a research team that basically wanted to figure out what's self-awareness in actual fact, what is it, where does it come from, why do we need it, and how do we get more of it. And we did, you know, we read thousands of journal articles and and conducted, you know, several dozen studies. And we also found people who didn't start out as self-aware, but who became dramatically remarkably more self-aware. And we dubbed them our self-awareness unicorns. And what we what we learned through this, this research program that kind of ended up like taking over my professional career in some way, that it was even more important. And even more learnable than I thought it would be at the beginning. So it's just been really fun, you know, whether now it's virtually or in person, kind of sharing all of the findings to help leaders actually see themselves clearly and reap all of the rewards.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those interesting phenomenon, I guess, especially inside of leadership. I mean, there, there's I remember when I was in graduate school, one of my professors talked about how one of the challenges of studying or trying to develop leaders is that you end up enrolling so many people who shouldn't be there right yeah. they want to be leaders for power's sake or what have you and and self awareness is sort of one of those dynamics it's it's a it's a skill you have to develop but you either never never actually develop it or for most people you think you already have it right there's like a lake wobegon effect to self awareness like thinking i'm an above average driver or what have you right the majority of, of folks I think and then you found some of this in your research, right? The majority of things are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, like I'm I'm self-aware. I Very know good. I know exactly what my body weight on a scale is." Isn't that what we're talking about? I'm quite <laughs> self-aware.
1: That's it. And uh, I, I will never forget the first uh, conversation I had with my literary agent about a book about all of this. She was like, "There might be a fundamental problem with this book." And I was like, "Oh no, what is it?" And she said, "Well, the people who need it the most are going to be the least likely to buy it." And, you know, to some extent, that's true. Although I've been heartened. I think it starts with me as the the purveyor of this research, talking about my own journey. You know, the the reality is, according to our data, almost all of us have way more work to do on our self-awareness than even we think we do. And there's something almost kind of freeing about that. You know, our our friend, Marshall Goldsmith would say, (laughs) ah, if we can just say like, I really don't see myself that clearly, or 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 I have a lot of a lot more runway. That is actually a positive thing because it provides opportunity. And so that's what I've been trying to do is shift the conversation a little bit from "you're all bad, you're not self-aware" to just think about the potential there is here, even improving your self awareness by twenty percent, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I'm curious how you how you bridge that for a lot of people right because in your work i mean you're you're uh, an author obviously and an amazing speaker but a lot of your work is executive one on one executive coaching trying to convince the dude, I'm just going to say it's a dude, I'm just going to assume there's a gender difference in self-awareness and that guys are worse at this um, in, gen- in general, right, yeah. You talking uh,
1: on average or? I, and <laughs> I just, when, it comes
0: to, when it comes to leadership, I default to assuming that men are worse than women at it. I just default to that, um, mostly because it's the opposite of our assumptions and because Tomas, Tomorrow for music is always in my ear about it. But anyway, anyway, how do you, you, I mean, a lot of times you get hired to work with an executive and you have to break that news to him or her. You have to actually be like, no, you got some room to grow in this. Do you do that through like 360 feedback? Do you do that? Or do they come to you with that awareness already? And it's it's an easier conversation. I'd imagine it's not.
1: It's, it's rarely the latter example. Sure. Um, you know, pe- when people hire me, They hire me for lots of different reasons. Sometimes I'm hired, you know, I work mostly at the C-suite level, but sometimes I'm hired by the boss of the person I'm working with who basically needs to stop being a jerk if they want to keep working Mm -hmm. there. But, But more often than not, when I'm hired by, you know, a CEO, it's because they're not getting the results they want to get. Or even they're getting some of the results they want to get, but they just, something feels off and they can't figure out what it is. They're, they're facing a, a limit or an obstacle or they feel like they could be getting more based on what they're doing. So what I try to do, plain and simple, uh, is to tie it to their goals and to say, you know, I collected all of this data by talking to 30 of the people that work with you. And as uh, amazing of a leader as you think you are, Here are some of the things that they said, right? And then it's like, in what way is that limiting for you? Whether or not that's true, you know, we know that that both our self-perceptions and other people's perceptions of us matter. They have value. But what does it mean if you're not responding to this feedback? You know, what are you kind of leaving on the table? So the way I look at it is I help senior executives win. And one way to win that they might not have thought of before is to be more self-aware.
0: Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. I, my, my, um, my buddy Clay has this great saying around branding and marketing, right? That your brand isn't what you say it is. It's what people say you are. And I guess you're leveraging right. the same thing, right? That it doesn't matter what you think you are as a leader. Here's what other people are saying. And would you like to change that perception? I mean, I'm sure when they first hear your feedback, they would rather just fire, like figure out who those people are and fire them. Right. <laughs> <Or> fire <laughs> but, <me. laughs> right. Well, yeah. yeah, there's that, there's that too. Right. Um, <laughs> And you know, so one of the reasons I wanted, to, I wanted to talk with you specifically to this is that we are, uh, in fact, when we were first started talking about doing this interview, we were like smack dab in the middle of the great work from home experiment. Now we're sort of in this light at the end of the tunnel where nobody actually has any clue how often they'll be working in their pajamas versus like real clothes. Um, but I would imagine this has been something that's a lot more difficult, right? Like, so you have the layer of self-awareness piece but then you add virtual communication has the potential for so many more misconceptions that is, I mean, is, first of all, is it harder to convince someone that they need to develop self-awareness? And then like, is it harder to actually develop self-awareness in this context?
1: I think yes to both um, with the caveat that it's not impossible, but here's a good example. All of the behaviors that we were so used to socially or many of them, and you write about this, right? They change when you're virtual. So for example, right now, I'm not making eye contact with you and your viewers. (laughs) I'm looking into a camera lens. If I was making eye contact with you in the way that I'm used to, I'd be doing this, right? Yeah,
0: I'm the same way. Let me me make eye contact. We'll get a great great screenshot of what (laughs) eye contact actually would look like in a virtual world. That's great.
1: Yeah, so even something like that, where you're doing what you used to do that worked before and maybe was a differentiator, but the rules have changed, And then, you know, something here, like to be very specific about it, if I'm not making eye contact with you, I might not be able to read the impact. I think when, you know, there's a lot of extra information that we get when we're together with someone, just like a vibe that we can't put our fingers on that just isn't there virtually. Um, And so I think it's the sum total of that where, you know, I'm not seeing people do these big egregious things, but over time, those things can erode the connection that we feel, which can become kind of a cycle that just perpetuates itself. So I don't know about you, but um, I'm really looking forward to being part of some of these hybrid conversations about how can we take the stuff that worked about working virtually, but also put in you know, choices or, or piece, pieces of autonomy where people can chart the course that works best for them. Because the fact is, Virtual works for lots of people, and it's the worst thing ever for lots of people, and right. both of those things are true, right? Well, yeah, what are well, you seeing people talking about there?
0: Yeah, no, you're you're dead on. I mean, my my big fear in terms of hybrid, and, and it ties back to self awareness a, a little bit, right? Is that mm-hmm. I mean, I was asked even even today, I'm asked what leaders uh, manage this change better and what have you. I'm like, well, it's the leaders who led from a place of trust and giving their people autonomy, right? Like re- the responsibility, accountability culture that we always. Sort of hear about it and never actually practice. Those leaders have been fine, right? Okay, it's, it stinks that I can't see you as often, but like I already trusted you. It's the ones that didn't know that they had an assumption that presence equals productivity that are really struggling, right? And, and most people, like if you back somebody in a corner, you can get them to admit that, yeah, just because you're at the office doesn't mean you're working. But they still managed or led from a place of like, I can't see Tasha, therefore she's probably slacking off, right? Like probably just sitting around the house in her pajamas, not doing anything. Well, she is in her pajamas, but she's being productive, right?
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Um, exactly. I say
0: that I have no idea. I'm, I'm as we're recording this, I am definitely wearing pajama shorts because they're more comfortable. Uh, I know, mean, that's Chris-
1: the new world. We should have choices, and and like really, there's a sense there you know imagine that you're one of the employees of these leaders who are saying and, and this is in the press a lot oh well to build a culture and to really be a place people want to come to it has to be in person and the employees are saying wait a minute you know i've been working in my sweatpants but i had the best year i've ever had right in terms of my my ability to deliver things in terms of the flexibility and autonomy that i had you're not only telling me that i can't have that anymore but you're, t- you're implying that all that hard work was for nothing, right? And yeah. so I, I think it's a talk about self-awareness moment for leaders. I feel like a lot of leaders are talking about this, but they are not understanding the way it's landing with people. Yeah.
0: Oh, no, totally. And don't get, and don't get me started, by the way, on the whole culture thing, right? Because that's the one we hear all this. Oh, how do you build culture when you're not in person? Like, well, you don't build it just by... Trusting that in person is going to build culture. Like there isn't a single good, good, great place to work. There isn't a single company renowned for its company culture that didn't do it deliberately. Right. And so if you're going to be deliberate, then to some extent, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's easier to reinforce it in person. But like, what you mean when you say you can't build culture without being in person is you don't have a clue how to build culture, but you know, if you were in person, it'll happen accidentally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I, so I was in my first in-person meeting with a, a leadership team of a client that's here in Denver. And one of the rules I set in this conversation we had about, you know what does the future look like for how we work is no one gets to say the word culture. <laughs> and if you're talking about culture, you need to actually define what you mean. And what we were able to figure out was, you know, everybody kept saying we want to build culture, but what a lot of the leaders really meant was we want to give people flexibility. Right. And that was that, that when you when you land on that, like that's when it actually becomes a helpful and positive conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I would imagine over the last 14 months or so, right? A lot of people have been smacked upside the head with a, a sort of lack of self-awareness, right? Maybe, or at least this disconnect between like this, mm-hmm. maybe I should have been managing this easier as a leader, right? Or maybe what are my assumptions in, right? and right and granted, like I mean the there's a if you wanted to add up the number of people who've been wrong in the last fourteen months, it's probably seven point eight billion, right? So we're not talking about that. But what we are talking about is like is I thought I was this type of leader. I'm really struggling in this environment, or i'm really I'm really thriving in distance right and and what have you. Um, So in in the last 14 months, what have you been, I mean, we've talked about what you've been seeing, but what have you been doing to help people cultivate this sense of self-awareness, right? Like my favorite activity from Insight is the whole dinner conversation. Mm. Well, you can't do that right now. Right. Um, and even if you could, like, I don't know, I don't know that it would work as well with a mask on face to face, only taking it down to eat bites or whatever. Right. Whatever so the how are you,
1: policy is nowadays.
0: Yes. Yeah. Whatever the rules are, wherever you are, I can't, I honestly can't keep them straight anymore. Um, so, how are you helping folks? W- what methods, what activities, what things are working to develop that inside of this virtual environment where A, it's easier to misread people and B, it's probably easier for your people to just like straight up lie to you and not be open and honest about you because they know they're not going to see you for a couple more months.
1: Right. Well, there it's interesting you say that because there was a sense early on in the pandemic of people putting off conversations they knew they needed to have for their success, their employees' success, the future of the business, because they couldn't be in person. But the, the one thing that I think we have managed to do is, you know, Particularly before the vaccine started to work so well, and, and at least in the U.S. be rolled out so quickly, was acknowledged that we had to figure this out. We mm. had to fumble our way through it. And what I've seen the most effective executives do in that context is is be completely dead honest about it. Um, you know, so y- yesterday in this virtual or in this this hybrid meeting that we had, it was complete chaos for the first ten minutes. And, you know, the CEO and I were both like, wow, let's just acknowledge that this is a, that uh, we've never dealt with this before. And I, And I said, I don't know how to facilitate this kind of meeting when we're all at a distance and we've got all this new video conferencing software. There is an element where I think if we can name it, the leader in particular showing that vulnerability is a way to build connection in spite of this, because I think, you know, it's like me, I've got this perfect bookshelf behind me and I can just sit there and pretend like everything's <laughs> great. But if yeah, I but say, we all know, you know your
0: Peloton's right next to you,
1: yeah, it is. It's right, right. there. I could get yeah. on it at any right. moment. <laughs>
0: All of your friends know that it's just that shot, right?
1: <laughs> it's it's <laughs> just, it literally just like, yes, exactly. You know that. Um, but but I think to break the wall, there, I, I come from a theater background and there's this this idea of like breaking the fourth wall of just saying the thing that everybody knows and is thinking already. I, I, it's a small action, but I think if a leader commits to doing that, it's a really powerful one, especially as we're navigating whatever the heck is ahead of us.
0: Yeah. You know, I've kind of had the same same mentality. I, I was writing leading from anywhere in summer of last year and looking at a lot of research that was BC before corona research, right? Because all of it was before because it was two months into this thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it suggested, you know, okay, we do judge the competency of leaders based on the competency of, of how well they use whatever technology they have to use and what have you. And so my message in early summer was exactly that. Like, you better learn how to use these tools fast, right? Which is like, try telling a 68 year old senior leader, you better learn how to get as good at Zoom fast. Like, no, you end up with lawyers that are, that are accidentally having a cat Snapchat filter on them, right? And so owning it tends to be the better strategy. What I started recommending was show the vulnerability, own it, and then appoint someone else on your team to be the tech host, right? Not only because it goes well, but mm-hmm. because you end up sharing power, right? And that ends up being actually my, that's one of my big recommendations. And actually, I stole this from our mutual friend, Erica Duan, which is when we go to this hybrid and we're doing meetings where some people are in person and some are not, you need to share power with someone who's remote so that you're co-facilitating this thing. And that way you don't forget that all those people are actually remote. The remote person will remember to include them, right? So I think it has a dual benefit in that sense. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah. And it really is. I mean, you can sort of say things superficially like, this is an opportunity to build a better world. But really, if you think about, right, what are the things we can do to enhance? You know, in this case, the autonomy that people felt, or the ownership that they were able to to grow into, that that should continue and and accelerate under the right hybrid conditions. And then, P.S. The only way to actually do that is to involve uh, employees <laughs> in that decision, right? But but right. but it's possible, and I think it's gonna it's gonna be an either accelerating force for some companies, or it's gonna you know mean companies never advance from where they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I see it. I see it just in the questions that I'm asked, right? Like I, I was working with an organization this week and they said, oh, you know, we we're going to, we've decided we're going to three days a week in the office, two days out. And I wanted to be like, who, who does, who, who's we, right? Like, because, because yeah. I would have told whoever we is that that's actually the wrong question. The question isn't how many days are we in the office versus not, right? The question is how do we create a workspace where everyone feels welcome, but no one feels obligated? And that's gonna look oh, that. to a lot of different people, right? Yeah, yeah. By the way, that's been my trick over the last year is I just tell people they're asking the wrong question, and then I come up with a question that sounds like Simon Sinek said it, and then people <laughs> are like, Oh no, I'm kidding. I kid what it really is the proper <laughs> that's a proper question. Good right?
1: plan. I'm gonna take that on too.
0: Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, it's my point is too, is that it's it's so little discussions like that are also very team-based, right? Like a three, two, two. You can't say that works for an entire organization, right? If you're a small company and everybody's doing the same, or maybe, right? If you're an accounting firm, maybe. But if you're like, you've got like 10,000 employees, odds are you've got like security guard. How do you work from home as a security guard, right? Or like HR that needs doors that can be like doors that files that can be locked away and what have you? Like that's everybody's has different roles. And so trying to craft that policy without being inclusive about it mm-hmm. is is really sort of tragic. And so the goal of, of a question like, you know, how do we create a place where everybody feels welcome and nobody feels obligated is, well, the only way you answer that question is if you ask everyone what a welcoming but not obligatory workplace looks yeah. like.
1: And you are truly willing to, you know, at least try to transcend whatever your bias is about it. Because I think that's where so many leaders are getting in trouble right now is they, they, they state assumptions as facts. So yeah. they'll say, well, we all know that, you know, you can't really get the same thing face to f- or virtually as you can face to face. And it's like, well, a lot of people don't agree with that. You know, yeah. I, have, I have friends that work for all virtual companies that are super engaged. They love it. They have no complaints. And you know, what about those people? So I think it's yeah. it, that's that's another piece of it. I actually had the executives yesterday start by saying, my buy, like for whatever the solution is my bias is, you know, one executive said, my bias is I want everyone to be back in here five days a week. Yeah. And the reason I I want that is because I'm an extrovert and I love to be around people. But even just to say that, it's my bias. Um, I I don't know. I think that's really important.
0: That's such a softer, nice. You must be a self-awareness executive coach because that's such a softer, nicer way than I've been doing it. I've been basically telling people, uh, when they say, oh, well, this can't work, I'm like, well, just because you don't know how to do it doesn't mean it can't be done, which is a line that I really annoyed a lot of my academic colleagues when I was a B-school professor about, about certain online programs, or can we condense this class, or can we move the MBA to like a working adult program, whatever, and no, it can't be done. Just because you don't know how to do it with your class doesn't mean it can't be done, right? Also it true. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah. So, I, I mean, I agree with you, but I love this idea of coming it from my bias, right? Because if we get down to it, that's the truth of it, is actually we're not usually saying such and such isn't possible or such and such is the right answer. What we're saying is I don't know anything else. And it takes a level of vulnerability to admit that.
1: But talk about the power of doing that. If a leadership team says, you know, explains the process they use to get to something and then says, we've never led an organization this way before. And we need your help. And that's why we're bringing you into this. And we're going to, here's the milestones and, and the metrics of what we're going to evaluate. And, and we're not going to presume that we have the whole answer. That, it, that's scary for executives because they, you know, it, it leaves room for error or misinterpretation. But I think the more, you know, it's all the companies that last March said they were going to be virtual forever. What are they <laughs> doing now? right they probably feel kind of stupid you know it's, it's so I, you, you've got to leave some room for collective improvement as well
0: yeah well and and certainly so, and certainly the companies that said they're going to be virtual forever at least they perform better than the ones who are like no 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 it's just 15 days to slow the spread trust us right and oh okay it's just we'll be back soon. it's just 60 true <laughs> right so and which i guess 60 actually that depended on where you live but that's a whole other monologue Um, so I, I mean, I, I was, I was going to ask you for like one piece of advice on where to get started, but I, I think we kind of found it accidentally, which is in that developing that skill of saying, I don't know more often, right?
1: Totally. And, and, and even, I don't know, and I know that I might be imperfect, but here's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, And that's not going to get to all of the most cynical members of your team. But um, a lot of times when I'm working with executives who just have a complete, who who don't understand the way they're coming across, even just saying what your intentions are for, for the first time ever can be pretty helpful for people. So I think those things together can be, especially right now, as things are changing again, maybe away from what some employees would prefer. It's like a you have to have it minimally.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. I don't know, but here's my intention. How can we figure out how to get there? Key key operative word there being we, right? I, I love that. I love that. Well, speaking of the we, there's you and I, and then there's the we of people who are watching and listening to this, and they probably want to know more about you. So where would you send them to get a, a hold of you to find out more about your work? I mean, to, to hire you for like to talk at them for an hour, which is brilliant. I've been <laughs> receiving into that, or to talk one-on-one with them for, for a while. Where would you send people to find
1: Thank you for that question. So actually along those lines, I found that it really isn't about me. A lot of times when people hear about the self-awareness topic they wanna know, their first question is how self-aware am I? So my team actually took our very, very long self-awareness assessment and condensed it into a five minute version where you fill out, you answer 14 questions, you send the survey to someone who knows you well, they fill out 14 questions on you, and then you get a report back that gives you a very high level, I call it like a party trick version um, of your self-awareness. And if anybody wants to take that as a first step, it's very easy to find me from there, but it's insight-quiz.com is the website. And then Tasha Uric, uh, as far as I know, I'm the only Tasha Uric that has any kind of web presence. So I'm right. the one that you will find. if you.
0: Well, you're see. the you're the only one that I want to find. So oh, that that's way, so nice. I feel right? the same
1: way about you. Maybe we'll see each other in person again.
0: <laughs> yeah, at, at some at some point, right? Um, so we will put links to tashirik. We'll put links. I know where the self awareness survey is. Never taken it because I don't want to hear the bad news, but mm-hmm. I'll take it and then I'll put the link. Could be a to to be your it
1: rater if below. that's what's stopping you. <laughs> so.
0: I would. I mean, candidly, I have such a persona that probably the only person I could send it to is my wife. And that would, actually, that's who I should probably send it to. But I feel like you we would do, do that in that. person, right? I would just look at the questions. Um, we used to, when we were dating, take personality inventories, like, for fun. Until I found out most of them were bullcrap. <laughs> so so there's that that's issue. That's we'll so links,
1: nerdy. I love it. Sorry,
0: right? <laughs> we'll put links to all of that uh, below so that you can check it out. In the meantime, Tasha, thank you so much for joining us on David Burgess Presents. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, leave a rating and review because it helps share these messages with many, many more people. And if you really liked it and you wanna go deeper, then check out the amazing resources we have for you at davidberkus.com resources. Guaranteed, there's something in there that'll help you or your team do your best work ever.